Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024. The Economist. In London, this is The Economist, and you're listening to Babbage, a weekly conversation on science and technology. I'm Kenneth Kukier, the data editor, and I'm talking today with Helen Joyce, our international editor, and Oliver Morton, our briefings editor. On this episode, we'll be talking about embryos. Just whom do they belong to anyway? And we'll consider the difficulties facing the commercial rocket industry. Helen, let's start with you. In America, lawsuits are being filed over embryos. Some ex-boyfriends and husbands are claiming a veto power over the right to use fertilized eggs of their former partners. Helen, what's happening? So these sorts of cases have been cropping up ever since people started to freeze embryos when they did in vitro fertilisation. So to recap a little bit, when you do this fertility treatment, uh, the woman's ovaries are hyperstimulated to produce quite a lot of eggs, say 10 or a dozen. They're all fertilised. With some luck, there'll be more than you could put back in one cycle. You might put back two or even three. And you're going to have some spares. We know how to freeze those now. So you have a baby with the ones that are fertilised that sort of with take luck. hold? With, with luck. luck. Okay, and then after that, uh, the rest are just sort of in a bank. Yeah, exactly. Some estimates, there are no national figures, but some estimates are that there are a million frozen embryos in America waiting to have a chance at life or not at the moment. You pay yearly fees, and different states have had different approaches to what you do if several years down the line the couple are perhaps no longer together or don't agree about whether they want to have another baby. So some states say that in order to put the embryo back, both people in the couple have to agree. Others say they won't actually enforce any contracts because you can't have contracts in this sort of very sensitive issue. They try and do it on a a sort of balance of fairness. And others say if there's a contract, they'll stick to the contract. So there's a sort of a legal grey area as to what happens to it if the couples don't agree whether it should be turned into a baby or not. Exactly. It's a very, very hard question. Generally speaking, the right not to reproduce is thought to trump the right to reproduce. But the hardest cases are when couples have perhaps in a very rushed decision, decided to freeze some embryos because the woman has has discovered she has cancer and is going to have to have chemotherapy, which will probably make her sterile. So you may have a young couple who haven't been together for very long, maybe haven't even talked about whether they wanted to have a baby at all or together. They make some embryos, they maybe don't end up together, and then it's her only shot at becoming a mother. But they're no longer together and he doesn't want to have a baby with her. Why would it matter if she's going to carry it to term and it's going to be her baby? Why does he have a right over There speaks a man, Ken. I don't want my baby being looked after in any other household. I know that's how I feel. I suspect you might feel differently about it. Perhaps you've broken up in a very, very awkward manner. But also, actually, you can't sign away uh, your rights to claim child benefits and uh, child maintenance. So even if the woman swears blind, she will never, ever ask for a penny. Actually, she can, even if she signs a piece of paper saying she won't. And the child can go looking for child support as well. Mm. Okay. so what's the nature of the lawsuits? 
So at the, the most recent one is a state appeals court in Illinois ruled that very unusually, because I mean, there's been about a dozen cases roughly similar and they've mostly gone the other way. But this state appeals court ruled that the man cannot stop his ex-girlfriend from using the embryos that are frozen. She is a cancer patient. They were very together a very short time. It was a very rushed decision. They did actually sign a contract. They did take legal advice. They both now say that they didn't understand what they were signing in different ways. And that's not that implausible. Can you imagine? You know, it was about of two course. weeks between hearing that she had cancer and deciding to start fertility treatment and then straight on to chemo. So in this instance, though, the male has no right to... To stop her, yes. That, that was the decision of this court, I should say, it's subject to appeal. It's, it's incredibly vexed. So even some countries where there are very strict and clear rules or where they say if you have a contract, it's going to be enforced, it's not that straightforward. There was a very tragic case here in uh, Britain a few years ago. Again, it was a cancer patient and she took it all the way to the European Court of Human Rights to say that she should be allowed to use her embryos. And she lost, you know, but that really was her only chance of being a mother. And we have very clear rules here that it has to be both parties' consent for the embryos to be re-implanted. One of the fears of courts is that uh, by giving men this power, because it is usually the man who doesn't want to use them, although there have been cases the other way around, by giving the man this power to stop the woman from reproducing, uh, he's giving he's been given a huge bargaining chip in what may be a very nasty breakup. There's an academic paper called You Take the Embryos, But I Get the House and the Business. So let's look at the science. Why are we doing these with embryos at all? Why don't we just use the eggs? Well, that would be the obvious way to get around all these moral questions, wouldn't it? That you wouldn't have to say in advance of storing your gametes who these gametes are going to be combined with. The thing is that the egg is actually the largest cell in the human body and it's full of water. It's very hard to freeze. Now, it can be done. Eggs have been frozen, but it's experimental treatment and we don't know how successful it is. We should say the babies have been born from frozen eggs seem to be fine, but not very many have been. When you freeze an embryo, they're multi-cell, often seven or eight cells, and it actually surprisingly doesn't matter if some of the cells die. So if you, if, you know, if you destroy half the cells in the process of freezing and, uh, and th- thawing, you'll still get a baby if, if the ones that are left are fine. That's why we have identical twins when an embryo at about the same stage splits. Each of them can make a perfectly good human being. So embryos are just much safer. If you are somebody who is looking at preserving your fertility and you cannot have a baby now, it's embryos you want to freeze, not eggs. And that means that you have to make, ineluctably, this sort of very difficult choice about who to give ransom rights over your future fertility. Helen, let me end by asking a question about where you think things are going or what really ought to happen. What is the the liberal view of this? What do you think? Right now, I cannot see that it's okay to make somebody be a parent if they don't want to be a parent. And I say this as a woman with two IVF babies myself, with my husband, no frozen eggs, very straightforward. I just can't see that it's okay to force somebody else into parenthood. I just also don't think this is going to be an issue in 10 or at most 20 years' time. We will know how to freeze eggs much more successfully. And many women may well choose to freeze their eggs in their 20s, even ideally in your teens when they're much younger. We don't reproduce the right age now, even those of us who have no problems. How interesting. Thank you, Helen. Okay, let's turn to you, Oliver. Last week, a rocket from SpaceX broke up a few minutes after launch in Florida. The rocket was destined for the International Space Station. This is just one of a series of mishaps in the commercial space sector. Oliver, what is going on? Well, as yet, we don't know exactly what went on with this particular rocket, which was a Falcon 9 made by SpaceX, which is the company run by the flamboyantly gifted Mr. Elon Musk. But rockets do explode. This is one of the things that we know from 
long history. They do very well. And the fact that a SpaceX rocket, this particular rocket, hasn't exploded on its previous 18 launches, does explode on its 19th launch, might normally not be a matter for particular comment. The things that matter here, though, are that, one, it's SpaceX, and everyone has a lot of interest in SpaceX because it's an exciting, entrepreneurial, high-tech approach to rocketry, which is unlike the big old giants in the system. And two, as you say, this is the third replenishment mission to the space station in a row that has failed. Now, that doesn't mean the astronauts are getting hungry or running out of espresso or anything, but it does mean that you have to begin wondering, what exactly is going on? The answer is almost certainly nothing. It's just pure chance. But it's the sort of thing that kind of concentrates the mind. Is a private sector firm any better than, say, a national one, say NASA, in trying to understand the causes and remedying those causes? Well, you know, I mean, NASA just buys rockets from private industry, whether it's from the United Launch Alliance, which is the big old rocket companies, or SpaceX, or Orbital Sciences, whose Antares rocket blew up going to the space station um, a little while back. It's always basically the same process. SpaceX was pretty good about sharing information, and it's, recently it's been running this rather innovative program where it's been trying to land the first stage of its rockets after the mission has started. And so far it's failed at that, but it's been releasing on YouTube and elsewhere videos that show the rocket trying to land on a barge in the Atlantic and falling over. And I think it's an interesting thing about a slight change in the culture, partly because of the visibility that YouTube offers of all sorts of things, that people are getting used to the notion of failure, that failure is an option and that if the point is to learn from it and go forward. And that's presumed, if, certainly if I was speaking for SpaceX, that would be the way I'd be spinning this, that this is an opportunity to learn before we actually, for example, put people onto this rocket. Okay, so let me go there for a moment. First, what were the sorts of things inside the rocket that it was going to be delivering to the space station? Oh, you know, space station stuff, stuff to eat, stuff to do experiments on, uh, and uh, a, a new adapter ring to allow different sorts of spacecraft to dock onto the space station. I feel particularly strongly about this because by strange coincidence, I was visiting a company in San Francisco last week called Planet Labs, who build these very nifty, very small Earth imaging satellites. And they lost a whole bunch of them on the Antares launch that went down a few months ago. And now they've lost a few more on this launch. So, you know, they are really getting the uh, they're really getting the short end of the launch failures always happen stick. So we don't have human beings on there yet. When do you think we will and what sort of precautions will we need? Well, they're working towards the idea of putting human beings on a later version of this rocket, the Falcon 9, and various other rockets. There's a program at NASA to develop the capability to put human beings up to the space station using commercially acquired launch services like that. It's not yet um, fully there, and there's some uh, issues between NASA and Congress on quite what the funding for that program will be. At the moment, getting humans onto the space station is kind of a Russian monopoly, and for various reasons, that's not a system that you would necessarily want to encourage. And so what does this say about the future of private space travel and the way that we're going to be interacting with the, the space station? Well, it says that it'll be risky because things go wrong, but that doesn't necessarily mean, I think, one thing will be very interesting to learn as we get more data on this launch failure. It's not necessarily the case that this would have lost astronauts if they had actually been perched on top of this rocket. The version of the capsule going to the space station that was launched on this rocket doesn't have various systems for preserving itself if there's a launch mishap, and the crewed cap, the capsule that would that would have crew on it would have such systems. So certainly shouldn't go from saying that this rocket broke up to saying that astronauts would have died if something like this had happened in two or three years' time when there had been astronauts on board. In the long run, you know, by and large, 
we're going to go on doing it like this for the foreseeable future, that we're going to put people... At, no one's going to build a new space shuttle or anything like that in the near future, so capsules is going to be the way to go for some time yet. Great. Thank you, Oliver. That's all for this episode. You've been listening to Babbage. For more news on science and technology, go to economist.com. In London, this is The Economist. The Economist. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. <laughs>